0: Extraordinary. Leader. Innovative. Integrity. Honest. Thoughtful. Brave.
1: Unafraid. There is a place where technology and art meet, where work and play are one and the same. When the threads of curiosity are pulled in this place, the spark of innovation ripples across industries. Those who make this place their home are giants, titans who pursue creative passion while leaving their mark.
0: Creative. Flexible. Brilliant. Clever. Confident.
1: They are courageous thought leaders set on changing the practice of dentistry and their corner of the world. More than the sum of their parts, we deconstruct the traits that bind these uncommon innovators
0: humble, daring, disciplined, playful, principled, spontaneous
1: Spontaneous. to discover what makes them contrary to ordinary, where we explore the extraordinary. Hi there. I'm Dr. Kim Cooch, host and founder at Carry Free. I'm fascinated by what makes the paradigm shifters, world shakers, and art makers tick. Let's embark on a journey. Extraordinary is a place where ordinary people choose to exist. Together, we will trek the peaks of possibility, illuminate the depths of resilience, and navigate the boundless landscape of innovation to discover how some of the most innovative dentists and thought leaders unlock their potential and became extraordinary. On this season of Contrary to Ordinary, we explore the motivation, lives, and character of the innovators who see limitless potential around them, the people behind some of the largest paradigm shifts in the practice of dentistry. Sometimes to forge the path ahead, you need to create the tools to do so from scratch. Having the courage to blaze a trail Using your own resources and time is something that only truly extraordinary people will attempt. Today's guest, Rella Christensen, has taken that risk and come out on the other side with fresh ideas and strategies to help the dental industry care for its practitioners and patients better. In 1976, Rella co-founded and directed the Clinical Research Associates Foundation, the only nonprofit dental products testing laboratory in the world, the CRA shares its findings with subscribers in 87 countries. Rella went on to become a team leader at Technologies and Restoratives and Caries Research, or otherwise known as TRAC Research, a nonprofit institute dedicated to in depth, long term clinical studies of restorative materials, preventive dentistry, and dental caries. As you'll hear from Rella, she took a particular interest in microbiology, which led her to some interesting areas of dentistry. This is part one of Rella's interview, and I'd like to begin this episode a little differently today with two stories that I really think give some insight into her very unique character. The first story happened in Baker City, Oregon, about 20-some years ago, and I'd ask you to speak at a dental meeting that I was putting on. Dana and I started a meeting called The Rendezvous, and we're in Baker City, Oregon, which for you know our our listeners here today, it's a small small town in remote eastern Oregon, and Rella, you know, true to her word, she shows up and she's going to present for the morning. She's the morning program, and I think you were going to talk on infection control and biofilms and water lines and all the things that you were studying at the time. And so I got up at six thirty in the morning that morning, and I'm in charge of the AV, so I've got my Kodak projector and i go to the room and i've got everything all set up i turn the projector on and the the bulb goes poof and i'm like n- not deterred i go right to my briefcase i've got a backup bulb i put the bulb in turn it on and it goes poof and now i'm in a situation of i got a speaker starting in about an hour and i have no projector and we were all on slide you know slides at, in those days kodak carousels right correct so i had a contact in Baker City, people that I knew locally. So I called them in a panic, woke them up. It was, you know, before seven o'clock and they said, well, the high school has one and we can call the principal and get him out of bed. So they woke (laughs) up the principal. Well, they did have a projector, but they had lent it to the senior center. And he said, you know, the state police, the local state police officer has a key to the senior center. I'm going to call him and have him go there and get this projector and bring it to the hotel that you're at. And I'm like, wow, this is great. So about 7.30, the police officer shows up with this projector, and it's not a Kodak. And I don't know if you remember this, but our carousel, so it was a unique off-brand. And so we have to transfer all of Rella's slides from her Kodak carousels onto this off. I don't even know what the brand was. And so we're sitting there, she and I, and... For the viewers that are so used to PowerPoint and Keynote, those slides had to go in, in order, and in the proper orientation. And it takes some time to do that. So Rel and I are kind of scrambling to do this. And I don't know what happened, but your carousel fell off the the table there, landed on the floor, and all the slides went into a total disarrayed pile. And my worst nightmare had just come true. And I'm standing there horrified, And I look at you and you started laughing and you sat down on the floor in this midst of slides and you started laughing. And at that point in time, like I was such a relief to see you laugh that I started laughing and you and I sat on the floor and laughed for probably five minutes. And you got up at eight o'clock and you gave a two hour lecture without a single slide it was riveting. You had everybody on the edge of their seats, and you knew your material so well that you were able to do the entire lecture without a single slide. And it's one of the most impressive things that I have seen. But it also, I, it gives me an insight. You're unflappable. One of the things that I admire about you, Rella, you're courageous, and you're that happened, and you laughed, and the show went on. And so I do. You, and it was. And you also told me while we're getting ready for this, you said, and Kim, I'll never forget this because this was my last presentation with slides. You were switching to PowerPoint for your next lecture. <laughs> do you remember that?
0: I do remember. <laughs> but PowerPoint was a um, a painful shift, wasn't it? Oh, it
1: was. Oh, yeah. But it was so nice not to have to lug those oh, yes. carousels around. And the fact that you just laughed. It was such a relief to me. And I think and you have a great sense of humor. That's another thing that I admire about you. And you you were just like, you know, oh, well, here we go. And you had a, you went on and just provided a great program that morning. And that's, that's something that just sticks out in my mind. The other story that I had, and you'll probably be able to tell me what year this was, but it's probably been 10 years or more. And I saw you at a dental caries meeting that we had gone to, and you were sitting, and there was an empty chair. So I, sat, I pulled up a chair next to you at the, during this meeting, and I said, you know, Rella, how you doing? What's new? And you, you were telling me about you and Gordon. You finally got Gordon to take some extended time off, and you guys had gone to Alaska for the summer.
0: Oh, no, that would be about four days perhaps during the <laughs> summer. <laughs>
1: So that, that's extended time off for that's Gordon. That's
0: extended for
1: Gordon, more than two days. <laughs> but I think, did, were you guys on a motorcycle then in Alaska?
0: Um, actually, uh, we were.
1: Yeah, that's what I thought. You told me you were like on a motorcycle tour in Alaska. And I asked you, so what was the most interesting thing that you learned in Alaska that summer? Do you remember this, Rella? Just and, vaguely. And you, you looked at me and you said, you know, Kim, did you know that sled dogs when they get really old and they can't pull their weight anymore, it's so hard on them to see the team leave without them that they have to put them down. And it's like they work, they're part of that team, they're a sled dog until they can't be a sled dog anymore physically can't do it. And I looked at you and I said, oh my gosh, Rella, you and me, we're like sled dogs. Do you remember that?
0: I do remember that.
1: (laughs) So that's another thing that I appreciate. Now,
0: these were the old time guys. I don't think they do that today. uh, They
1: probably don't today.
0: But but they would get the dogs out and and the dog would go stand in his place uh, where, where he would be in the harnesses and they couldn't get him out of the way so they could harness the the, new, the dog. new dog. Right. And uh, I guess it was just really annoying right. uh, to the point where they would finally shoot him.
1: Oh, yeah. So, but I think the other thing that that really points out to me is you truly are a sled dog. I mean, you are still doing research. You have this research center. You're like the Energizer Bunny. I mean, you, I, you just keep going and going. And it's, and it's so, I, I think it's so amazing to see. And I wanted to compliment you on that.
0: Well, thank you, Kim. Uh, actually, uh, I'm definitely slowing down. The Energizer Bunny in the family is Gordon, <laughs> and I'm lagging farther and farther behind these days. But I, but I do love the the basic science microbiology research. In right now, we're doing uh, the oral cavity and dental caries, and right. that has been so illuminating. Uh, all I can tell you is. We've been on the wrong track for a long time.
1: In our 30 years of friendship, I've collected countless stories that I could share about Rella. But I think these two show just how unique she is. But let's go back to the beginning. Rella was born in Pasadena, but grew up in Westwood, California.
0: My father and his brother had had purchased the kind of the top of a small hill. It it Uh wasn't anything like a mountain in Utah, just a small hill, uh, only an acre and a half of land, and they built houses right next to each other and surrounded this whole thing with a six-foot chain-link fence. Wow. And um, you could see the city hall of Los Angeles when you looked in one direction and the ocean when you looked in the other direction, and it was... uh, the six-foot fence must have been my father's idea because they could just turn my brother and me out there. And oh, there right. was very little trouble you could actually get into. We were too young to figure out how to climb that fence for a <laughs> long time. But, but I grew up with uh, uh, big dogs, uh, German shepherds, and uh-huh. always have had a cat and just roamed this property.
1: Sounds magical. It, Actually, it was
0: a great a great growing up time, but and, and I've always been kind of a loner and a nerd, and uh, this just worked for me really well.
1: <laughs> so, if I have the story correct, you have an uncle that's a dentist.
0: He was the uncle that my my dad only had one brother, okay. and and this was the dentist. Okay, and yes, we lived next door, and he didn't have children. He was married, but never had a family, so uh-huh. it was just the two of us, and uh, a farmer would come in. Uh, that actually originally owned the land. He owned many acres of land out Uh there, and he grew corn and watermelon. Oh, wow. And he would come in, and he would grow the corn and watermelon on this land and then go down the way about uh, a half mile where he would sell it at a a stand, and he he continued to do that even though he'd sold the land off. Uh When it was really fun was every... Few years he would not grow the corn and watermelon, but he would instead grow hay that he would just plow under to right, loosen right. up so, the soil because yeah. it, it was adobe, mm. uh, and very dense soil, and that was so much fun because the uh, uh, the hay would grow about waist high. Oh right! And and you could crawl through that, and nobody could see you because the.
1: The the, The the grass was was taller, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And so, uh, you know, you could hide from your mother or your dad or (laughs) anybody you wanted to, and, yeah, it was a great time. I used to take the dog or the cat with me all over the place. They hated it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, Rella, when did you first get interested in dentistry then? Was that an influence from your uncle?
0: He needed help in his office uh, one year, and I was... uh, about 15 years old at uh-huh. that time. By that time, we had moved out to uh, actually San Marino, which was right next to Pasadena. Right. And so I I lived with him. Uh, he had a beautiful home in Palos Verdes, and his practice was in Redondo Beach. Oh wow! And I I worked there um, doing operatory cleanup and. And instrument disinfection. All the grunt grunt work, yeah. And uh, he had a laboratory technician with a a really nice lab right there in his office and and, uh, used to like to... Play around you know in those days they would dribble a little mercury into your hand and you could play with it
1: <laughs> 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 oh I, I well I remember squeeze cloths right and we didn't wear gloves in those days right and I mean oh my goodness I yeah you have to look back at some of the yep, stuff and just go yes. it's a wonder we survived right oh my goodness
0: my uncle was very much a mentor. He, he really wanted children and couldn't have them. Right. And uh, so he was very involved in, in, with both my brother and myself. He was an excellent dentist. He had excellent hand-eye coordination, uh, and, and, and he was a, a perfectionist.
1: I was going to say, so excellence mm-hmm. was important to him
0: that's a word that was important to dentistry in those days
1: yeah oh for sure
0: very very and you know it's a word that that has uh, become less used today i hate to say it's disappeared now some of your mentors, like Dr. Kois, right. uh, he would have heard that word uh, right. a, a yeah, number yeah. of times.
1: Yeah. I mean, we judged our success and failure by how tight our restoration margins were, right? Well,
0: you know, this was the age of cast gold.
1: Right. Oh, yeah.
0: And, uh, yes, they used silver amalgam, but my uncle went to USC, uh-huh. University of Southern yeah. Cal, and they prided themselves on on gold work yeah. uh, there. And, and he was a master with it. Wow. And, you know, just really prided himself on his on his cases. That definitely rubbed off.
1: So you went to USC as well. I did. Right? And you got a hygiene degree. I did. No hygiene.
0: That particular profession was suggested by my uncle.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Uh, bear in mind, this would have been, um, I graduated from high school in 1956. Okay. And uh, in California at that time, they were just crying out for dental hygienists, Uh uh, the dentists in the state. So he really encouraged that. I wouldn't have known a thing about it had it not been for my uncle.
1: Right. So he kind of nudged you in that direction.
0: Once I knew that I couldn't be a medical illustrator, uh, I was looking for something where I could use my hands and do something.
1: Maybe help people in the process.
0: I really wanted to do that.
1: We often take hope and inspiration from the people closest to us, and Rella's uncle really set her on a path from which she's never looked back. A name you'll be hearing a lot in this episode is Dr. Gordon J. Christensen, Rella's husband and a hugely accomplished dentist, speaker, and co-founder of CRA. Rella and Gordon met at USC, graduating in the same year. In the early days of their relationship, Gordon would pick Rella up on his motorcycle and take her out rifle shooting. Her father didn't approve.
0: Oh, I remember one of the times uh, we came roaring in, and uh, my dad had stopped at, at the place where Gordon was living. It was a little old house, and his parents had bought it. Gordon bumped over the curb and drove right up, and I was riding behind him. Right, And my father was just floored, it was like, are you kidding? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can <laughs> and, picture that. Yeah, I was all <laughs> jumping up and down <laughs> in
0: this cold head. <laughs> and, and my dad took Gordon aside and he said, you know, he says it's either that motorcycle or my daughter. Which will it be? <laughs> fortunately Gordon chose me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, fortunately. Oh my yeah, goodness.
0: But my dad made him sell that motorcycle. Oh
1: wow. Oh that's amazing.
0: <laughs> but I bought him another one when he was fifty, told him he was finally old enough to he
1: oh. could, your dad and your dad was uh around to approve or not approve? Or? Uh,
0: my dad was around, probably still didn't approve, but <laughs> by that time it had learned to <laughs> Maybe not say as much.
1: (laughs) Right. So you both ride those now then? We both ride them. Oh, wow. Oh, fine. So you wear the black leather and the whole deal? Yeah, we do. So what do your grandchildren think, seeing their grandmother dressed in full black leathers and, you know, riding a motorcycle? They must think, like, you're probably the coolest grandma in the entire world.
0: Well... (laughs) They probably think I'm nuts, but <laughs> but actually it's a lot of fun. It's a very hot machine.
1: Oh, I would think so. It um, sounds like it. Yeah, yeah, it is
0: a very hot machine, and, and I love to drive it too fast.
1: <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, Rella, so then let's go back here for a second. So you graduated from hygiene school, and then how long you practiced hygiene for how many years?
0: Oh uh, Well, um, if we take things in order, we'd have to say that after I graduated hygiene school, I actually started having babies. Right. The director of our general hygiene program, um, you had to quit if you were pregnant. You could come back the next right. year. But they didn't want pregnant girls in the clinic. If you can imagine, they'd get away oh. with that today. Oh,
1: yeah, right. Oh, and my when goodness.
0: I graduated in June of 1960, I could just barely button, the middle button. I was about three months pregnant. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We, we'd been uh, uh, going to school that last year as a married couple. uh uh-huh. And so I had two babies, 11 months apart, one in January of 1961, and one in December of 1961. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness.
1: <laughs> and oh, so you were busy.
0: During that time, I wasn't practicing hygiene.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: But once we kind of uh, got a little maturity on these babies, we were up in your neck of the woods at that time. Gordon did uh, uh, the military right after he graduated. Okay. Uh, And we were in uh, Fort Lewis.
1: Oh, right. That's a beautiful area. So
0: both of those boys were born on Fort Lewis. Oh, wow. And uh, I actually started uh, my dental hygiene then in 1962.
1: So how many years did you practice hygiene then?
0: About 20 years.
1: Yeah. And then you made a decision to go back to school.
0: I felt it, it was almost like a, a bolt out of heaven. I'd taken my little girl uh, uh, to uh, junior high school, which was just south of Brigham Young University. Uh-huh. And as I was coming back, I had this little 1977 Land Cruiser with the big wheels. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I'm bumping along, and I just had this almost like a, a voice said, you will graduate from BYU it scared me to death. Uh-huh. Looking like, around, and and I pulled my car over over next to the Marriott uh, Center there. And you know what I said? I said, "God, is that you?" Right. And uh, essentially, uh, I had no plans to go back to school. I had a uh-huh. bachelor's degree and I had a good career, and and I was enjoying life as a mom of three kids. So now,
1: were you working in Gordon's practice at the time uh-huh. as a hygienist? Okay, I was. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: And I would do pickup work for people that uh-huh. were going on vacation or or whatever.
1: Right.
0: But Gordon started a practice when we moved here to yeah. uh, to Utah, and um, we'd also just started what was called clinical research associates. Yeah. And um, that was um, put together with the legal papers in 1976 with the first. It was called a newsletter then. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: in uh, January 1977,
1: and uh, so were you working on that in, 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 from the beginning as well? Then,
0: well, I was it.
1: Oh, you were I'll it. Okay, <laughs> I was. It.
0: Gordon needed a, a a pansy that he didn't have to pay, that was not smart enough to say "do it yourself," <laughs> and uh, basically, it it started in the dental hygiene operatory of his. Of his so that's office. how CRA started. I put wow. a microscope there, and yeah. we, we had a, a project that a uh, person I knew well, uh, Jack O'Connell at uh, Kerr, uh, wanted to know how to finish his resin-based composite uh-huh. and asked if I'd figure that out for him. And uh, so here we were uh, with this project, and it just kind of went from there And I started uh, graduate school in 1980.
1: Deciding to go back to school at 42 is not something a lot of people would follow through with. But then again, Rella isn't like most people. Rella's PhD was in physiology with an emphasis on microbiology.
0: I don't know what they do these days, but in those days, a group of professors would put together a curriculum right. that they felt that, that you needed. You would tell them what you wanted to do, mm-hmm. and then they would put together this program, and they, they felt it should be heavy in chemistry. And um, so they I had the physiology, the chemistry, and about half of my classes were microbiology Uh because I was very interested in that. We'd already done a hand wash study Uh as part of CRA, and I worked with a microbiologist there, and it's uh, very, very handsy, Uh uh, very precise work. Oh, yeah. I've always said if you make a mistake in microbiology,
1: it grows. <laughs>
0: if you make a mistake in chemistry, pour it down the drain and run the water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah. If it doesn't explode. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Even if it does explode. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But that's quite a commitment at 42 to go back to get a, a degree in micro. So you, you had to be, have a lot of drive to do that.
0: I felt it was something that almost like a mission that, right. that I needed that that background and the math and the science and and the contacts uh-huh. in, in those areas, right. and I was still running a, a CRA. I was right. directing it. We had fifty people on board just at CRA oh at, my at that time, and. Um, Gordon was gone about half time speaking. He yeah. did a lot of talking then, usually from Wednesday to Saturday. Uh-huh. He he would be gone, um, and he would usually speak several locations. Yeah, in a time like that, and uh, of course by then I had kids that were in junior high and just uh-huh. starting high school, and and it it was it was a lot. I honestly, Kim, if I had to do it over, I'm not sure I could. You, you go into these things ignorant and and you get to a certain point and there's only one direction forward. You're right. too far to
1: to too back to quit yeah. or give up and and yeah. so
0: you just you just keep going. But but yeah, it it was a it was a huge commitment.
1: That's a huge commitment, yeah. But you know when you're in your forties, you have a lot I look back, right? You know, in my own life and it's like I had so much more energy then oh, than yeah. I have today, oh, right? Yeah. Like I look back then and I talk about it sometimes I look back at what I did and it's like I I can't believe that I that I was able to operate and perform well at that. Just being so involved in so many you things, you know,
0: I was so interested, and there was so much pushing. Actually, almost like a fear. Uh-huh. Like, can I really do this? Uh-huh. I was only sleeping two hours a night. Uh, I I would I would get up at three and and try to study between three and seven. I needed that quiet time for right. the family got up, and then I would come to work, and then I would leave here and drive to BYU for classes uh, during the day, and then uh, study at night. And um, uh, I didn't, I can't really tell you that it it hurt me to do that Uh until I'd done it for about four and a half years. Uh That last six months, somehow I picked up a terrible case of mononucleosis oh, yeah. I'd uh, never had it no, before as and no a kid. surprise
1: you were, you were oh, so run down
0: and I was around young people studying yeah. oh, and, yeah. and working with them uh, they, they say it's not transmissible but I think it is uh, yeah and uh, basically that that affected the rest of my life uh-huh. I've definitely uh, can only work to a certain point but I, I've never needed a lot of sleep. Right. Uh, that that's been something that's uh, uh, allowed me to to have the time to to do right. all the things that needed to be done because the the real science in CRA was done from six until one in the morning. Mm-hmm.
1: So that's a huge commitment, and but it had to be driven by curiosity and passion, and really, so you really focused on a purpose that kind of grew out of that your life
0: i had a bad experience uh with medicine Uh and surgery and a bungled diagnosis and a very bungled surgery uh when i was young not not as a kid Uh, this this is when i was a mom Uh and um i had a, a a real feeling for the helplessness of a patient yeah especially in a surgical situation where you're under general anesthesia.
1: You're putting your life in somebody's hands.
0: And, you know, uh, anything that I had done after my experience, we've always made an arrangement so Gordon could be in the operating room and Uh watch. But that's very uncommon, and I doubt that he'd even be able to do that today, even though he's on the staff of the hospital. I, I doubt they would allow that today. But I could also see in dentistry we we had some of the same problems where things happen. You know, you can't see inside your own oral cavity. You have yeah. no idea what's really going on in there. And uh, intraoral cameras uh, can be a wonderful help, but but the clinician has to use it. And uh, some patients don't want to see, but but some do. Yeah. And um, uh, I had a a, a real. Um, Uh, a real sense that people needed an advocate Uh uh, and that we needed to there's that word excellence that we needed to make sure our patients were treated with the best and in the best way.
1: Personal trauma can, for many people, be a road to advocating for others. As dentists, we have a responsibility to give the highest standard of care and make sure that we have the trust of our patients. After years of developing CRA, Rella began to discover a new interest that she wanted to pursue.
0: And I wanted to look at dental caries from a microbiologist's point of view. And Mm -hmm. and, uh, so we started developing this technique. Uh, You know, from my point of view... Dental caries is is a microbiology problem. What are we overlooking? How come in 2004 we still have dental caries? Uh, I mean, it's just been a major disease almost since the beginning of man.
1: It's it's the number one disease in the world, in every demographic, in every country of the world.
0: Even the early people had nectars and honey. Oh, yeah. People say, well, they didn't have anything sweet. It couldn't have oh, been yeah you know let's let's talk about this oh
1: yeah and for i mean even fruit and you know dried yeah, fruit exactly. and you know so dental caries is it's kind of ubiquitous i mean it's been with us for forever but i just you're you're telling me that i'm reflecting back to when i graduated from dental school in 1979 they told us to make sure that whatever we wanted to accomplish in dentistry that we did it in the next 20 years because in 20 years there would be no dental caries because yep. of fluoride and you're probably not going to have a job, right? I mean, this is, we closed. No, I, we closed, I lived through
0: that era. Gordon right? was teaching through right? that era. And we yeah.
1: closed 10 dental schools in the early 80s because we just figured there wasn't going to be a demand for dentists. And here we are 40 years later, and there's more dental caries today. I mean, particularly in our young children. It's inconceivable to me. If I could go back and talk to my 25-year-old self and describe what the future is like, I'd have a hard time believing that.
0: I agree with you. I wanted to set up this this lab,
1: uh-huh.
0: but you know it was going to take money. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gordon volunteered our family money. He says, "Look," he said, "Tell me what you need, and we'll buy it." And um, that was a kind of a singular opportunity uh-huh. because even if you apply for grants, oh, they're yeah. they're very pointed at certain things. You don't have as much freedom and option to, to spread out and change your mind and so on.
1: Well, and you can't follow the science where it leads.
0: Well, that is often the case, depending yeah. on, and you do need to be able to, you know, you're looking straight ahead, but the really interesting stuff may <laughs> happen to the left or the right. Yeah. And so we started setting it up. Uh, you know, I'd gathered some of his old Dental chairs. I picked one out that was in pretty good shape and had it recovered. And and uh, went out shopping for a uh, operating microscope. Uh-huh. Of course, I wanted a Zeiss. Right. I wanted something that that, <laughs> that the patient didn't move, but I could focus. And and I needed a couple of anaerobic chambers, not just one. I needed two. And and uh, I needed a scanning electron microscope. I'd been using the one at BYU. I, I had keys. I could go in there at the time I wanted, but not when the students were there. Right. So it meant that I had to spend the night. I'd go at nine and I'd have to clear out by seven and I'd have to work all night And. Uh, That was okay when I was 40, but when I was getting up there to 60. (laughs)
1: Yeah, Yeah. it doesn't feel quite as good, does it?
0: (laughs) And, you know, so we started picking these things off one by one. He bought me the scanning electron microscope for our 50th wedding anniversary. (laughs) and instead of a diamond. He actually offered me a new diamond. I said, oh, I'd really like to have a scanning electron
1: microscope.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, we got that. That is so,
1: Rella, that is so you. (laughs) You know, that is so you. That is such a great story. Oh, my goodness. Okay.
0: And then uh, when I really wanted to pull away from CRA, said, I'd like to... Say thank you for that twenty-seven years that that you ran it. He said, "I'm going to buy you a new car," and I said, "Honey, you know I don't really want a new car, but I, we really need a sequencing machine." <laughs> and of course, it's many times the cost. Oh of yeah, new
1: oh, car. oh yeah, yeah yeah.
0: But at any rate, uh, he bought that sequencing machine. Bless his heart, he didn't have any idea what we were into. But it sits in there, and uh, that's the way we started. Wow. And uh, pretty much had all that we needed to, to set up and then started developing a technique where first thing we had to do was to, to create a sterile environment, uh-huh. and that's how we learned about air.
1: Thanks so much for listening to Part 1 of Rella Christensen's amazing interview. Join us in the next episode where we'll dive into the groundbreaking research she's done around air abrasion, her approach to work-life balance, and much more. Around here, we aim to inspire and create connections. We can't do it without you. If this conversation moved you, made you smile, or scratched that little itch of curiosity today, please share it with the extraordinary people in your life. And if you do one thing today, let it be extraordinary.